the people I say, come to 7 o'clock, and some of you came. So I'm so happy that you're here. We're going to um, sing songs to Jesus and remember and be reminded of what Christmas is all about. And so I'm glad to be doing that with you here. We're going to begin in the, chap- chap- in the second chapter of Luke. Uh, if you stand uh, with me, I'm going to read from God's Word and then we're going to sing. Luke chapter 2. Beginning in verse 8 says this, on the evening that our Lord came into this world, it said, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who was Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we can have confidence that by Your Spirit You are present here with us. And we are gathered here to be reminded, Lord, of what this season is really and truly about. And to be reminded of who Jesus and this little baby truly is. Lord, I thank You for the time that we can be together. I thank You that we can rejoice over Your first coming and be reminded with great expectation about Your second. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated and it'll just be for a short time, I promise. I wanted to um, just spend a brief time uh, tonight, yes, reminding us of what Christmas is all about, but maybe giving you something that is um, a little more memorable for the, the larger story of, of Jesus. Now, you may not know that uh, Christmas um, has been celebrated as a federal holiday since like 1870. And I think since that time, but maybe perhaps uh, increasingly so, there's been a conflict a little bit about what it's really all about. And as Christians, we uh, believe, obviously, that Jesus is the reason for the season. We even like that phrase. We like to, to talk about that. It's, it rolls off our lips. It sounds good. It, it feels good. It's, it's easy to say. It's easy to remember. It's Perhaps gives us something to cheer about, something to fight for, but I would argue that it's really incomplete. It's not enough to know that the reason for the season is Jesus. We must stop, and Christmas is a good time to remember this. Easter is a good time to remember this, but it seems like those are a few times where we stop and remember. Not just what the reason for the season is, but what's the reason for Jesus? We don't want to forget that Christmas is just one chapter in a very large story. And that knowing the reason for Jesus demands that we know the whole story. And so I try to simplify it into maybe the most basic chapters and try to tell you the story as simply as I can, as memorable as it can, so that you can remember it and that you can perhaps share it with somebody else. And we're just going to use five different trees. There's lots of patterns in the Bible. There's lots of things in the Bible that, we, that are repeatable, and so this is perhaps a helpful one, especially in the Northwest. 
So the first tree I want to talk about is a tree that's all the way back in the beginning of Genesis. We call it the tree of creation. It has nothing to do with Apple computer, but I couldn't find an apple, so we're using it. But the Bible declares, as, as we all know, that God created the world, everything in it, visible and invisible, created it in seven days, the heavens and the earth, and it was good, full of good things, and it was all designed to display His goodness, His glory, His awesomeness, to say something about Him. And though He created many things that, that communicated His wisdom and His beauty and His power and all those things, He, he created one special thing that was made in His image, mankind. And mankind had God's Spirit breathed into him so that he alone would have a special relationship with God. And he took his two kids, Adam and Eve, our first parents, and he put them in his garden, a place he had planted on the world that he created. And he allowed them and encouraged them to enjoy the garden. And then he intended himself to enjoy their fellowship. That he would enjoy them, that they would enjoy him, that they would enjoy this place together and enjoy one another. And for a time, we don't know exactly how long, but in between chapter 2 and 3, there's some space there. And that was a time when God and men enjoyed fellowship and the fullness of dwelling together without sin. And the Bible says in Genesis 2, telling us about this, that the Lord had took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. And the Lord gave him a command. And He said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, full of trees. But there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that one. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And this is the first tree. The tree of the garden. The tree of creation. It probably could be called the, the tree of the knowledge of evil because the knowledge of goodness was really Everywhere. But men would have to choose whether they were going to obey God, whether they were going to live by the counsel of the Lord or they were going to live by the counsel of the enemy who would come and tempt them. Whether they were going to live by the goodness that the Lord would define or they were going to define their own goodness. Whether they were going to submit to God's rule in their life or whether they were going to try and rule their own. Whether they were going to glorify God or glorify themselves and they chose to glorify themselves. They chose to try and rule their own lives. They chose to disobey. And that was the first tree. And in that moment, they fell away from the presence of God. And a separation occurred. But God pursued His people. He didn't just punish them and, and destroy them and start all over. He pursued His people, and, which leads us to the next tree. God had made promises, and we've been going through Genesis as a church, promises to, to one man and his family. And it was through the future descendant of this guy named Abraham that all things would be made right again. And you fast forward from Abraham several hundred years, and that one family became an entire nation called Israel. And we know the story that, that God freed this people from slavery in Egypt, and he brought them to a mountain where he gave Moses his law. And in that law were instructions and guidelines and rules. And part of the instructions were to build this tabernacle thing, this tent with all these specifications and, and all these ways it was built. 
And the intention of having this tabernacle was it would be built in the center of their camp where all their tribes were laid out and God said that He would dwell with them there. He would dwell in their midst. He would be with them. And in the center of this tabernacle, inside this tabernacle, say, it was filled with candlesticks. And if you read the description, it's candlesticks that, that were decorated with branches and flowers and it's imagery that echoes back to the garden where God dwelled with them before. But in the center of this was this place called the Holy of Holies. This is where we find the second tree. God had said, I want you to build something. I want you to take a tree, basically, and build this box, this wooden box. And though I want it to be covered with gold, it's, it's, it's a, a box. And in this wooden box that was covered with gold, it's called the ark. It held the the stones that, that God had given and written His law on. And once a year, the high priest would go into that tabernacle, into that very special place in the tabernacle before the ark, and he would sprinkle blood on top of this wooden box, on top of the mercy seat, and he would atone for the sins. And, and God said that if you do that, then we can have relationship. And I will meet with you there. And I will lead you there. And I will dwell with you there. And so it was the, the tree of mediation. It was the way God could have relationship with an unholy sinful people. Through all these sacrifices and through all this uh, atoning of sins, He provided for this temporary relationship. God who we had walked away from, He came near through this one people in this one box. But it was never going to be a permanent thing. It was always a guide to another tree. Pointing to something else that would be more permanent. Pointing to something else that would ultimately fix everything that we had broken. Which leads us to Christmas. The third tree. The tree that we like to celebrate. See, year after year, after that box had been created, after that tabernacle had been built, and even a permanent temple had been constructed to housed the same wooden box. Prophets came and prophets left and they would come and they would declare pretty much the same thing. God, return to Me, He would say, and I will return to you. Be My people and I will be your God and I will dwell with you. And the prophets at different times in different ways told of a future prophet who would come, a future Savior who would come, a future King who would come. A future man who would come and make everything right. And that's where we get one of the prophets, Isaiah. The very famous prophecy at Isaiah 9 that says, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So 700 years later, a young teenage virgin is visited by an angel and told that she's going to have a baby and that she's going to name him Jesus. And to quell the fears of marrying a pregnant woman, another angel comes and visits her betrothed husband, Joseph. And this is what the angel tells him. Don't fear to take Mary as your wife, in Matthew chapter 1, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she'll bear a son and shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Catch this, verse 23. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So there's this theme, and it began again in the garden with this tree, and God was present, and He was with us. Then we rebelled, and we disobeyed, and then He said, I'm going to be able to come near you. And He was near us through this mediation, through the, the Jewish people, and through the, the tabernacle, and then suddenly He's in this wooden manger. Another tree, right? And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll just look at this baby as a baby. We won't look at this child as the incarnated Son of God. As the eternal Son of God taking on human flesh. Why? So that He could come down and be close to us on earth and ultimately prepare for us to be with Him in eternity. That's what it's pointing to. The tree of the manger is just not, if not even more amazing than the tree or actually the moment of His resurrection. But men didn't understand the next tree that was going to come after the manger. They didn't expect the next tree that was going to come after the manger. The baby didn't come to save men from the badness in the world. That's what they expected, right? This baby's going to come. He's going to save me from the badness of the Romans, the badness of, of just mean people, the badness of all the brokenness in my life. no. The baby came, Jesus came to save men from the badness in their own hearts. The tablets that were in the box, right? The wooden box, the second tree, they were the ones that, that told us how bad we were. And they guided us to the fact that we need someone to save us because we deserve death and we, we deserve to be eternally separated from God. But God has said, no, I, I'm going to be close to you. I'm going to make a way to be close to you. But see, a bankrupt man can't possibly pay an eternal debt to an infinite God. So we need a representative. We need someone to, to stand before God and, and someone to, to represent sinful men. And yet he can't be without sin because he needs to offer a perfect sacrifice. But it has to be a sacrifice that's bigger than just one person. It's got to be of eternal weight. So the tree of the manger led to the tree of the cross, which is ultimately the tree of redemption. And Galatians 3 tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But catch this, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, remember the promise to Abraham, might come to the Gentiles so they might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus died on a tree so that we could be free have a relationship with Him through faith. And as we put our faith in a God who hung on a tree, He's not just present with us any longer, He actually becomes present in us by His Spirit. But that's not the last tree. And this is the last tree that I think is the most powerful one because we get to the manger and we celebrate the coming Savior. Then we get to the cross and we're like, yes, He rose again and we forget like what the story really, how it ends. That, that this is not the goal. That the story has a point. And it began back in the garden where God was with us and present with us and that's really where He's aiming to go. The cross isn't the last tree in God's story. And ironically, the last tree in God's story was actually at the beginning of the story as well. 
If you read the end of Genesis 3, you'll see when they, when they sinned, right? When they, when they disobeyed and they ate of the tree they weren't supposed to. God has a conversation. He says, you know what? We, we can't have Him remain in the garden. They can't stay in the garden or they will take of the tree of life. And What's so bad about that? Well, they would remain as broken and sinful as they were. And so what felt like a bad thing, He pushes them out of the garden so that they won't stay as they are, and then He follows them out of the garden with a plan to bring them back in. Revelation 21.3. These are the last two chapters of the Bible. Revelation 21.3 tells us the point of it all. It says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is God speaking. He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. And in His presence He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And then, if that's not enough, where God says, my, my goal is to dwell with you. My goal is to be with you. And you go, what, what kind of creator? Like, why would he ever want to be with his creation who rebelled against him? I don't know. It's amazing. But he tells us something in Revelation 22. As John sees the new heavens and the new earth coming down, a picture of restoration. It says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And the servants will worship Him, and they'll see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You notice the tree that's not there anymore? There is no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's only the tree of life. And we are present with the Lord. We have returned to the garden to live forever, fully satisfied in the presence of God. And so, as you consider Christmas and, and why we celebrate this, I want you to understand this is like chapter 3 of 5. That Christmas is part of a larger story. And when we declare, Jesus is the reason for the season. Yeah, but there's a larger story that tells us the reason for Jesus. There's a difference between throwing Jesus a birthday party and being, and being awed at the awesome, surprising, unimaginable love of a holy God who owes us nothing but desires to be with us. In my prayer is that we'll not be a people who just celebrate the season with a little bit of Jesus mixed in. But that actually we'll be humbled for who Jesus is and what He did and what He is going to do that it will put us on our knees 
I'm always reminded and struck by the response of the wise men, which is recorded in Matthew chapter 2. And this is my prayer for us during this Christmas season. Because I know, and I, I said this last service, this idea of like, you'd think that I got it all figured out and that, you know, when I walk into my home, my kids are singing angelic songs and we're just like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time. And like, you know, just everything flows perfectly. But it's very easy in the distraction of just buying gifts and the busyness of life and the difficulty to forget what this is all about. And Jesus just becomes like this kind of like asterisk on Christmas for us. Jesus is not an asterisk. He's not a parenthesis. And the wise men, these literally wise men, kingly men, wealthy men, come and meet toddler Jesus, who's probably about two years old. And here's the reaction to him. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 says, In going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Maybe he's sitting there cooing. You know, it's not like, we, we kind of think of baby Jesus like, you know, floating. Like, like walking in, he's sitting on his little baby throne. Yes, Mary, mommy, you know, help me out. No, he's just a kid. But when they saw him, it says they fell down and they worshipped him. Don't let Jesus just be this kind of extra thing that you have this season. This little bonus. Oh, by the way, it's about Jesus, guys. Don't forget. Be reminded that Jesus is the one. The eternal Son of God who came and got dirty down in a manger. The eternal Son of God who came and hung on a tree because of the tree that we decided to eat from in the garden. Ultimately, so He could be with us. It is about Jesus pursuing us and loving us so that he could be with us. That's the ultimate larger story of Jesus. She knows it. All right. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for the joy of your story that you wrote before the world was ever created. Lord, you plan every chapter of this story. You knew, Father, that when you put the tree of life and the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you knew what was going to happen, Lord, but you were designing this world to display the gloriousness of your grace and your love for mankind. And Lord, we don't know, we confess why you created it all other than to display your awesomeness, and it is your awesomeness that we truly desire. We desire perfect joy. We desire perfect love. We desire to be in the presence of perfect justice a perfect power, and that is who you are. And Lord, you desire to be with us, which is earth-shattering. And you desire so much to be with us that, that you, your son came down into a manger and got dirty and nasty and spent his life in the brokenness of this world, and yet without sin. And then went to the cross, hung on a tree, so that we could be with you and partake of the tree of life forever. Thank you for that great story. And let that story become real to us this season. And let that story be something that rolls off our tongue as we tell others about the true meaning of Christmas as the third chapter in a larger story. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you for reminding us of what Christmas is and reminding us that you are coming again. It is in the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.
for being with us and for singing songs to Jesus and remembering exactly what this is all about. I'll read just out of John chapter 1 to close with a reminder. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, this Word, was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's our Creator. That is Jesus. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When you see the manger, remember that is the Son of God in human flesh in that box. That is the Son of God in human flesh on that cross. And that is the Son of God whom we will be in the presence of with when He returns again. Go in the glories of Jesus. Amen. Merry Christmas.